0: Past legends are gone. A young rookie coach aims to make his mark on a storied franchise. New players will emerge.
1: Sullinger with the jump hook, and he gets at the ball. I like this young man's
0: game. Lenick will turn around soft touch. Nice a new era begins in Boston.
1: Oh, oh what a move! One shot, one shot. He shoots. Green isn't missing anything oh. tonight. This is
0: the Boston Celtics pregame show on clnsradio.com. Happy Saturday, everybody. Ty Ray along with Rich Conte. It is the Celtics beat, or should I call it right now, the Celtic beat down. The Celtics have lost 10 of 11, 7 in a row, and things don't look to get any easier tonight when the Celtics go from Golden State to play the first place Portland Trail Blazers, first place Portland Trail Blazers. In the Northwest Division, one of the big surprises in the NBA this year. A very athletic team, the number one scoring team in the NBA, a team that's very fun to watch. So the Celtics coming off that tough loss last night. 99-97 at Golden State. Have have a real tough trip to make to Portland. This is Jeff Green laying at 97-all, but he got caught behind a screen and hit a huge shot. I mean, just clutch.
2: Since it... it. It not only is not turning into offensive numbers, you know the plus-minus numbers uh, look horrendous as well.
0: Horrible offensive numbers. So, looking ahead, what do you see for the team? They're 13 and 24 now, Rich. Tonight, let's be honest. I don't like their chances in Portland. I know they're going to give a great effort most of the nights they do. They're going to head home probably 13 and 25 on an eight-game losing streak. Where do we go from here for the Celtics? What do they do? Uh, do they do they what do they what do they do I, I, I was so excited because at one time they were twelve and fourteen first place now they're five and a half games back in the Atlantic. Brooklyn has passed them. Where does the team go from here now with the fifth worst record in the nBA
2: you know if uh this Celtic season I guess has taught us anything uh you know about what to expect from them it's to not not expect anything either positive or negative every time uh you know the there seems to be a bead on on what's going to happen with them, they just Kind of turn around and, and do the opposite. They started out season 0 and 4. Folks were, you know, kind of uh, using the dreaded uh, T word and and really, you know, setting setting their sights. You know, really low. I was starting to hear folks talking about a you know a 15 to 20 win season. Then they turn around and win four in a row. You know, then they lose six in a row. So honestly, uh, I'm with you. I you know the last game on a road trip is always the toughest. Your your mind is going kind to of, um, start to wander. Um, you know, to thoughts of home sweet home. And you know, I would be extremely surprised if they come out with a win tonight. But once they get home, they maybe get a few days of practice under their belt. Um, who knows, you know, they, they, they could surprise us again. I, I think a lot uh, in terms of the rest of the season and what happens really kind of rides on the shoulders. I think of, you know, what happens with Rondo and that's not to say I expect him to kind of, you know, immediately come in, you know, riding on a, a you know, horse being a, a white knight and to turn the season around, he's going to need a transition time. But I think many of the things that ail this team and and when they look the worst are things that, you know, when he's playing like he's capable of playing Rondo is is perfectly capable of addressing, right? You know, it seems like they go through you know these periods of time when the other team is playing well that kind of the wheels come off the bus. And I think you know a veteran influence like Rondo, a guy who's able to kind of steady the offense and and and, and orchestrate it um, and kind of keep them from going into that helter skelter mode that they seem to go into when when things aren't going well. Um, you know, I I think would be a, a big plus for this team, but. You know, honestly it's gonna take him, even if he comes back, you know, there's been some reports that of course Rondo's denied now of him coming back as early as next Friday against the Lakers. Um, you know, it's gonna take him two, three, four weeks to really, you know, kinda get back to that level that we're accustomed to, to seeing from him. And he's gotta integrate himself now with what, you know, Coach Stevens is trying to do. So it you know, it'll take a while, but I think when he's back at, at at relatively full strength and
0: integrated,
2: I think that's really gonna be the really what the story of this team is the rest of the year.
0: You're listening to the Celtics beat Ty Ray along with Rich Connie. We're expecting a phone call any moment now from Antonio Harvey. He is the radio analyst for the Portland Trail Blazers. As he's going to talk to us all about the Blazers' success this year. They are 27-9 and nine on the season. What a great turnaround by this young team. Last year they won only 33 games, and they are a real success story so far this NBA season. One other bit of news, Rich, to talk about. The Celtics traded... Courtney Lee, I think it's fair to say that he underachieved while he was in green, although this year he was having a nice season, not an impact season, but a nice season. And they traded him for Jared Bayless from the Memphis Grizzlies, who's been a disappointment in his career. What do you think the Celtics gain by this trade? I think it's pretty straightforward. I think
2: it's Salary cap flexibility going forward. Uh, Lee's contract was somewhere in the, the vicinity of six million a year um, for two more seasons after this one. You know, I don't expect the Celtics to be really uh, significant players in what'll probably be a weak uh, free agent market this off season. But I think they're really looking at the 2015 off season as being you know a kind of a turning point. You know, in in the rebuilding uh, of the franchise. And I think this move was really aimed at freeing up money uh, for that off season, And it definitely accomplishes that. Not only is, uh, p- does Bayless make significantly less than uh, Lee makes, uh, his contract expires uh, after this year. And, you know, in terms of on the court, uh, I think Lee over his career has been a better player than Bayless. I think he has underachieved in terms of what people expected uh, when he was brought in uh, to Boston. Uh, as you point out, I think he actually was having a, a fairly good season this year. This year. Uh, so overall, I think he's a better player than Bayless, uh, but but very different type of player than Bayless. I think Bayless is the kind of guy, for good or bad, that more aggressively looks for his shot and looks to score the ball. And I think you're going to see nights where you know Bayless actually might be the difference between winning and losing by you know having one of those good shooting nights that, that, that he can have and in the past always seemed to have against
0: the Celtics. Right? He always <laughs> kills the Celtics. Now at least he's in green. Yeah, the other night against the Clippers, I I think he had 10 points in the first half, didn't do much in the second half, but I think he had 10 points uh, in the first half against the Clippers, showing what an offensive plus he can be to the team. And you're right, Rich, his contract comes off the books next year, and just looking at the numbers, the Celtics will only owe $43 million in guaranteed salary after this season. So that means they could offer an extension to a guy like Avery Bradley and give him the kind of money he wants.
2: Yeah, you know, I I think there were reports, and you know, obviously take them with a grain of salt. Not sure how true they were, but the Celtics had offered a Bradley an extension at about six million a year, and he turned it down. And the reports are that he's he's looking for a contract in the vicinity of eight million a year. And you know, frankly, he's. um, I think he's he's kind of earned that type of money with it, with his play this season. He's shown uh, that he can be you know uh, an above average offensive player in, in addition to being a you know, supremely disruptive uh, player on the defensive end. Um, but if you know from Angel's perspective, I, I think you know given the amount of uncertainty around the team, it and really you know with with. Bradley being eligible for restricted free agency where the team kind of, you know, kind of retains the upper hand. I think in that situation, it really makes sense to wait unless Bradley was, you know, really willing to, you know, sign a deal at that $6 million a year, which would have been kind of, I think somewhat under his market value. I think it makes sense for both parties to kind of wait and maybe, maybe even, play out the string and and go into restricted free agency and see, you know, what kind of offers he gets. Uh, And then Ainge can look at it and, you know, assuming no, you know, nobody comes uh, after him with a, you know, a a crazy $15 million a deal. I would expect Ainge to match, um,
0: you know, whatever kind of offer he attracts. Rich, we've got Antonio Harvey on the line, the Blazers color analyst on radio. Antonio, thanks for joining us today on Celtics beat. Appreciate the phone call.
1: All uh, right, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: You're not going to believe this, Antonio. I am in Tacoma. I'm actually going to head to the game in two right after the show, drive two and a half hours in this crazy wind and rainstorm. Are you guys having the same weather down there?
1: Yeah, you're, pre- you're pretty much going to get that for the next two and a half hours as soon as you head south. But this is actually the worst week we've had. I mean, it's been sunny and cold for about the last three weeks.
0: Yeah, this is... This is bad. It's going to be windy and rainy, but I'm looking forward to coming down and watching the new and improved Blazers. I watch your games quite a bit because I get you on cable up here. So much fun to watch is this team. The team won, what, 33 games last year, now 27-9, and tied for the lead in the Northwest Division. What's the big change this year, Antonio?
1: Well, that's a tough one to call. I definitely think the bench is a lot better than it's been in the past, but also you know, you look at some of the guys that have stepped up. Wesley Matthews has really stepped up. Nicholas Batum has stepped up. So I think the two guys, obviously, Damian and LaMarcus, those are the the engines that get this thing going. And then Robin Lopez, he's allowed LaMarcus to be even better than he's been in the past.
0: Well, it's funny last year. I always go to the Blazers-Celtic game as a huge Celtics fan. And last year I went to the game and I looked at the guys on the floor for the Blazers and I said to myself, this team is way too talented to be losing as many games as they are, to only win 33 games. I love watching LaMarcus Aldridge play. I love Nick Batum, Damian Lillard. Why did the team only win 33 games last year? I know they weren't healthy at times, but I thought they had more talent.
1: Well, there's, there's, there's some names I'm going to tell you, and when I say these names, I think it will give you a better idea of why. Luke Babbitt is not in the NBA. Uh Nolan Smith is not in the NBA. Jared Jeffries is not in the NBA. Kurt Thomas <laughs> is not in the uh, NBA. I'm trying to think of who else. Ellicott Williams was out of the NBA, came back, and now he's back in the D League.
0: You know, you got
1: that's five guys that were in your rotation last year that aren't even in the NBA. So no matter how good your starting five is, as soon as you make a substitution, you got a third string player checking into the game and there's just no way you can win when you when you got third string guys coming in and playing big minutes.
2: Yeah, hey Antonio, this is Rich Conti. Um, yeah, I think the bench has obviously been a you know big part of the turnaround for the Blazers. Um, you know, n- another guy you just mentioned that I think has played a huge role as you said allowing kind of Lamarcus to kinda of slide over to the, the four and play the more natural position for him. But I think uh, Robin Lopez has also had a, a, a huge impact just in his ability to, to you know be that, that rim protector on on the back line to you know shore up the defense somewhat. Um, you know, there's been some talk of uh, you know, the Blazers Maybe getting into the Omer Ashik uh, uh sweepstakes, but you know, I'd I'd be surprised if they you know, they shook up the chemistry they got on the front line there with Lopez. What's uh, the, the feeling there in Portland about the impact that Lopez has had on the team?
1: Oh, they they love him. The the team loves him, the, the broad, as a broadcaster I love him and uh the city absolutely loves him. I don't know how much you know about Robin, but he's a little quirky. And I don't know how much you know about Portland, but it's a very quirky city. So when you get <laughs> you get that kind of situation, you know, it works out very well. A very non traditional city with a very non traditional center. Uh so I, I think he fits the culture of the city, the culture of the team. He doesn't want the ball, doesn't need the ball, but when he gets it he knows what to do with it. So I, I think the impact that Robin has had, I call it the Rob the, the Lopez effect because you can't really <laughs> explain. It doesn't always show up in the stat sheet, but it's there. I mean it's it to me it's when this team is clicking it's because Robin is protecting the rim, they're better on defense, and having played the center position in the NBA and, and having seen how it can impact the team, when you've got a shot blocker, it makes everybody else better on defense.
0: Ty Ray, Rich Conti at Celtics Beat. Our guest today is Antonio Harvey, the color analyst on radio for the Portland Trailblazers. Antonio, the Celtics are having a rough time. They've lost 10 of 11, seven in a row. This road trip has been brutal, especially with the teams the Celtics have had to play As somebody, as as an outsider to the Boston Celtics, what do you see with the Celtics, and are the Blazers just racking this one up as another victory?
1: No, I'll tell you what. You can't rack anything up in this league as another victory. The Blazers lost to Sacramento and uh, Philadelphia back-to-back games. Um, You can't rack anything up as a victory anymore. And I really think the Celtics team, despite the uh, 10 of eleven. Is overachieving, or not overachieving, surprising people? They play hard every night. Uh, Brad Stevens has turned out to be a great coach, and I'll be honest: when when Danny Ainge pulled him from Butler, I was a little bit concerned. I was worried about the direction that the team was heading, but Brad Stevens has done an excellent this team to play hard every night, and you can overcome a lot of your faults if you can play hard every single night. I,
0: I was going to ask you about that because when I watch League Pass, NBA League Pass on on my on my cable system and I watch games from outside the area, not the Celtics telecast, but the, the other telecasts, all the out-of-town guys say that the Celtics play hard. That's kind of the reputation this team has. And so it's funny you would say that, because that seems to be echoing everybody else's sentiments that while the Celtics are losing.
1: You guys still there? I lost you.
0: Rich,
2: I'm here. Uh, uh, so got- it sounds like we. Lo- oh, sorry.
1: Oh, Antonio. Anto-
0: oh, okay. I was just yeah. saying that it seems to be the opinion of people outside the Boston market, from broadcasters to coaches alike, that while the Celtics aren't winning, they bring it every night, and it's interesting that you have that impression too. How many games have you seen the Celtics play this year? Have you had the chance to to watch them uh, here and there?
1: Yeah, i probably watch 10 or 12 games. I have a league pass on broadband, and I try to check out as many games as I can. i tell you what, if you don't have it, guys, get it, because you can actually split your screen into four different screens and watch four games at once. It's a, beautiful, it's a wonderful thing. So I usually put it on my computer. <laughs> I watch three or four, four games at the same time, and I usually try to catch the Celtics because of what Brad Stevens has him doing. And, and I, I'll give you a classic and great example of what the Celtics can be uh, in a year, once they get, they've they got some bad contracts they've got to get rid of, they've got some guys who, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, probably <laughs> won't be a part of their future culture. But with, having said that, um, the Phoenix Suns are a great example of a team that plays extremely hard. They've got a couple of good players on the team, but they just outwork everybody they face, and they're having a great year because of it. If the Celtics started the season with Rajon Rondo uh, playing as hard as they play now, the record would be tremendously better. I mean, they'd be right in the hunt for fourth or fifth seed in the in the Eastern Conference. I, I definitely believe that because they've got a talent level, and they, and a guy like Ray John Rondo gives them a, a bona fide guy who can get his whenever you need him to. And that's what, that's the, the success that Phoenix is having, and that's the success that Boston can have.
0: Yeah, Virtue and I are both on board with this, Antonio. There are a lot of people, especially in Boston, that talk about tanking to get a shot, at a number one. I totally disagree with that. Rich disagrees with that. We don't think it's a proven formula in the NBA. What do you think?
1: I think it's the worst thing you could ever do to an NBA team uh, because you develop a losing culture. If you're going to tank, you have to have nine, maybe ten guys on one-year contract because you literally have to clean house after you do it because you basically tainted your entire roster. Every player on your roster has gotten used to losing. They've been told it's okay to lose. They've been given a, a losing culture. And now you want those same guys to come back a year or two later and now be winners. It doesn't make sense. It's the worst possible. I don't even – I personally don't believe that there's a coach or a player in the entire NBA that believes in tanking. Maybe some GMs, but I don't even believe that's true. I think it's it's over over-talked about. It's one of those things that – that fans talk about, but the ultimate reality is I have never seen a coach or heard a coach say anything about tanking.
2: That's great, Antonio. Uh, it's funny, I, I listening to you talk about tanking, you kind of just – Completely echo Ty and I's sentiments, and I almost want to record that and play that uh, for Celtics fans who, you know, talk about, uh, you know, complaining about wins here and there. But, uh, you know, kind of going back to the Blazers, um, you know, I thought kind of coming into this season, they were a team that was kind of teetering on the edge of, uh, you know, do we kind of reset this thing and, 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 and rebuild, or, you know, do we kind of keep going with the core that they've got? And obviously now I think, you know, they made the right decision sticking with that core. But one thing that really really sticks out to me when I watch them is coach Terry Stott's offense and just the amount of motion that's involved. And I think I read a stat recently that came from some of those sport view cameras uh, that, that indicated that um, Wes Matthews and Nick Batum are either number one and two or number two and three in the league in the amount of distance traveled on the court over the course of the season, and I just kind of find that fascinating. Has has there been much attention really paid up there in the Pacific Northwest about just the the, the creativity involved in the offense that the the Blazers are running?
1: Well, people with, um, and I hate to say this, I hope this doesn't come across as being arrogant, but people with high basketball IQs recognize it. The average fan, Mm -hmm. and this is not to knock the average fan, but the reality is, the average fan is looking at the box score, the rebounds, the assist numbers, maybe field goal percentage. And that's as far as they want to go into a stat sheet. But if you have a higher basketball IQ, maybe a higher learning, a higher understanding of how basketball is played, you start to look at movement. You start to look at uh, assists to turnovers, uh, points in the paint versus three-point field goals. And certainly distance traveled is a great indicator of the motion involved with your offense. And that is something that we talk about a lot. Uh, Terry Stotts is a big believer in the three-point shot. But in order to get that, a good three-point shot, you've got to have motion from side to side, from high to low, because it makes the defense move. And as soon as you make a mistake, one of our guys is Wes or Dane or Nick or, or uh, Darrell Wright or or Mo Williams. One of those guys is going to pop open and knock a three down. So the motion is a big part of the success. But uh, I cannot talk about this team's success From any standpoint, without first emphasizing, it starts and stops with LaMarcus Aldridge. His ability to post up, draw a double team, creates so many other opportunities for his teammates because as soon as you pay attention to him, you get burned for a three. As soon as you pay attention to the three, he burns you in the post. It's a very good dynamic that this team has right now.
0: Let me talk to you about LaMarcus Aldridge for a second. We had Jeff Goodman from ESPN on this program a few weeks back, and he said, while Aldridge is a very good player. He benefits because the league is so weak at that position. Do you agree with that? Or do you think LaMarcus Aldridge has yet to even hit his peak?
1: Well, that's an interesting take because um, I think Kevin Love is a pretty good player. I mean, I think Blake Griffin uh, is a pretty good player. <laughs> Last looked, Dirk Nowitzki is having a resurgent year. Uh, let's see, Chandler Parsons. I can go up and down the line if I really wanted to take the time to look at it. <laughs> I could probably come up with about nine or ten really good players at that power forward position. And let's be, be honest, the power forward position isn't the power forward position anymore. It's a hybrid. It's a power forward slash center. you got centers that post up and shoot jump shots. So it's really a post position. And if you look at it from that standpoint, you've got Dwight Howard. You've got the the, the, the Villa Chunas kid down in, in Orlando. Uh, you've got Al Horford, who's hurt right now. I mean, I could probably name – yeah, I could name a solid seven <laughs> that are really good in the post, and yet it's a weak position in the NBA. So, therefore, LaMarcus Aldridge, instead of just saying, yeah, dude can flat-out play, he yeah, benefits he's great. from the weak position. That's, that's, that is tremendously lazy on the part of whoever that was to say something like that.
0: You've made your case, my friend. You have made your case. Hey, talk to me about the importance of Mo Williams to this team, that veteran presence. What does he added? What dimension?
1: He, he adds – Mo swag is what we like to call it. He he just believes. Mo <laughs> Williams is the kind of guy. This is no lie. If you talk to him, and it's not a it's not a confidence. It's not an arrogance. It's a belief. If he misses three shots in a row, he'll go over to the official and ask him to check the rim. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the kind of confidence you have to have when you're playing in this league. If you want to be successful. So he comes in off the bench. He gives us some push, but he, he just adds a belief. You can be successful in every single circumstance, uh, and I think that's what I like about him. Is, is he just he, he brings it? He brings it every night. His teammates love him. Uh, his plus minus, I got to add, is horrible. He's got the worst plus minus on the team, and I still love him on the court because of that swagger he brings. So yeah, he, he he adds an element that you can't really quantify, but you love having it just the same.
0: Antonio, you played in the league ten years. Talk to me about plus minus. We go back and forth all the time at CLNS Radio about how relevant that statistic is. Do you think it's a good gauge of a value of a player?
1: No. No, and the reason, unless you're a starter. I think starters are guys who you can gauge plus minus with. But as soon as you get past your starting lineup, plus minus guys go out the window. And the reason is, if I'm on the court, let's say, I'm trying to think of who, I can't really, I'll, I'll try to use the Celtics as best I can. But if you've got Avery Bradley who has a high plus-minus out there on the floor and he's out there with um, four guys off the bench, his plus-minus is going to go down. I almost guarantee it. So how is that Avery Bradley's fault? Is it the other guy's fault? Or, or what do you do? So outside of your starting five, I don't think plus-minus is a particularly relative um, stat. I expect my starting five, though, to always be plus because they're, that's my main five. That's my group. That's the guys I'm rolling, rolling and riding with. But so if they don't have a, plus, a high plus-minus, a plus-plus-minus, I'm concerned. But off the bench, it doesn't bother me one bit.
0: You mentioned the weak bench the Blazers had last year, and we've been talking about Mo Williams. I want to talk to you about a couple other players that the Blazers added this year. One is Darrell Wright, the dimension he brings. And then Thomas Robinson, does he ever have the chance to reach his full potential, do you think?
1: Well, I want to start with Darrell Wright and say that he brings two things. One, he brings professionalism, and the second thing he brings is a sweet jump shot. And for a team that shoots as many threes as this Blazer team does, the sweet jump shot is extremely important. Uh, So for Darrell, he's a a calming influence on the floor. Um, He he knew coming in he wasn't going to play a ton of minutes, but he stays ready, so when he gets his his number called, he's ready to go. Uh, As for Thomas Robinson, I think he's already reached his potential. If you knew what he was coming in, he, he's done exactly what he was built to do. He's a high-motor guy who rebounds the heck out of the ball and is extremely athletic and plays tough. He's not going to be a 2010 guy. He wasn't cut out that way, but what he is is a 14-9 and hella tough guy. That's about all he's going to give 14-9 and extreme levels of toughness on the court. I can live with that. I'm not, I'm not at all opposed to a guy, an enforcer-type guy on the court.
2: Hey, Antonio, I'm sure the folks up in Portland are just kind of enjoying the ride right now and not looking too far ahead. But as as you look forward to the playoffs, um, you know, is there any uh, aspect of this team that that has you concerned kind of as the regular season shifts into the playoffs and and, and the the nature of the game changes a little bit? What what going into the playoffs has to be the biggest concern in Portland?
1: Well, I would definitely say defensive fundamentals. If I were going to say – if I were going to call out one area of the – game where this team is weak, it's definitely in defensive fundamentals. Um, when I was coming through, I had some great coaches, and one of my coaches taught me that you always play, play the game parallel, meaning you're always going to be parallel or perpendicular to a line. Um, how, I'm sure you guys have seen guys get down in a defensive stance, and they get at a 45-degree angle. But think about that. If I play 45, um, you can go either way. But if I put mm-hmm. my feet parallel to either line, either the baseline or the sideline, I can take away one, di- which gives you only one, makes it a lot easier to guard. This team has some some guys with some poor fundamentals on the defensive end of the course, which makes them up and down on the defensive end as opposed to being very steady.
0: Yeah, and the team is giving up, what, 102 points a game, Antonio? Yes. That's quite a we bit. Don't,
1: we don't mind because we score 107.
0: <laughs> you're, you're clearly outscoring everybody, but the team has lost four of its last seven, so what do you attribute that to?
1: Poor defense. I mean, it boils down to, it. Uh, let's see, they played, Sacramento was a poor defensive night, Philly was a poor defensive night, and then they came back and had a big-time defensive night, and I can't remember the game because they all run together, but when this team, team gets down in the stands and plays good defense, they win games because they're going to score 105 every night no matter what. And when you score 105 every night, if you get down in a stands, you're going to win because your offense is just that good. And so I definitely think the defense before the playoffs needs to go back. Early in the season they were much better. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this, and this is one of those things that I saw last year, and I'm still not on the bandwagon the way other people are. Flashy plays don't win in the playoffs. The reason the Clippers got bounced by the Memphis Grizzlies in the playoffs they didn't have any any substance. They were all flash, no substance. The Golden State Warriors were the same thing. The Golden State Warriors uh, pretty much echoed exactly what the Blazers are doing. Or the the Blazers echo what the Golden State Warriors did last year. But I'll say this about it: the, the the one difference the Golden State Warriors didn't have a true post presence on the offensive end the way the Blazers have LaMarcus. If LaMarcus can play the way he's playing right now in the in the playoffs, this team will be just fine.
0: I can't believe we've had you on, Antonio, and have not said a single word about Damian Lillard. We've had you on for 20 minutes and haven't even brought him up. He is amazing. That game he had in a losing effort the other night in Sacramento is absolutely incredible. Speak to his development.
1: Uh, You can't. That's the reason I haven't brought him up. He's too damn good to talk about. (laughs) He can go for 30, and you don't even think about it, because he's that good. He, He... I see. What's his weakness? I think his weakness is he's still learning how to finish at the rim. What's his strength? Just about everything else. So He's not a great defender, but there are no great defenders in this league anymore because you can't hand check, you can't do anything to slow anybody down. So that doesn't bother me. The fact that nobody can stop him is absolutely tremendous. So, you know, Dane is Dane is everything you want in a player. You can put a franchise on his shoulders and he'd be just, as, just fine with that. But if you put him next to a great player, as the Blazers have with with uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, he's just fine with that as well. So I think with Dame, I, I just love, being, I love what he brings to the table. I enjoy being around him. He's a great kid from humble beginnings who understands his humble beginnings and is still hungry, wants to prove to the world that he is only scratching the surface of who and what he is. And I think that's what impresses me as much as anything.
0: And where was he picked in the draft, guys?
1: Do you remember? Oh, he was number six.
0: Yeah, so you know he wasn't number one, and he's just a, a, an incredible, incredible player. I mean, he's he's a superstar uh, in the making. I think just watching him the other night in Sacramento, I was just like, wow, this is really something.
1: No, I tell you what, he—he uh, was—he um, was drafted six. But I was talking to Monty Williams, who's a good friend of mine. He's a head coach for the Pelicans. And he and I were talking, and mine told me point blank. They had two picks in the draft that year. They ended up going one and 11. But he told me that if they had chosen one and two, they were going to take Damian Lillard with the second pick in the draft. So he was highly regarded coming out. He fell into the Blazers' lap at six, and there was no way they were going to pass him up.
0: Yeah, and he was terrific last year, too. I want to say, Antonio, I really loved your work with Mike Rice and Mike Barrett doing the Blazer games. You guys make it so much fun. I'm a Celtic fan, and I watch Blazer games because you guys make it so much fun. And, and I really want to say that to you.
1: Well, I appreciate that. You know, I, it's, uh, it was a rare occurrence. Um, usually I, I'm with Wheels on, on radio, but I call the Celtics game on TV because Wheels was sick. Uh, it was a great time and maybe one day in the distant future or the near future, depending on, on what uh, the plan is, I may be on TV on a full-time basis, but I enjoy what I do. Uh, I, I tell people all the time I've got the best job in sports because I get to be around the game, but I don't have to run any wind sprints.
0: <laughs> now, before we let you go, are there any charities you want to talk about because I know you're involved with those.
1: Yeah, I, I do a lot of work with a lot of different charities. A lot of the work I do is back home in Mississippi. I was born and raised in Mississippi. And I try to go home. Uh, there's the Purple Knights Foundation. I do work here uh, in Oregon with the Dornbeckers Foundation. I, I enjoy uh, being involved, and pretty much whoever calls gets my gets my ear because I just enjoy working, especially with kids.
0: Well, Antonio, it has been a pleasure talking to you on Celtic Speed, and I mean this, you are one of our favorite guests we've ever had on this program. It has been well, terrific.
1: I appreciate that, guys, but your expectation levels were way too low if I'm your best guest. You need to find some but, other people.
0: <laughs> no man, you won me over. You won me over and and Rich over with the anti tanking because we're going to play that soundbite for everybody, every Celtic fan in Beantown because we're so sick of hearing it. We're so sick of hearing how the Celtics should lose every game so they can get Andrew Wiggins.
1: Well, uh, now what they need, what Celtic fans also need to realize, is that only twenty five percent of the time has a team with the worst record actually gotten the first pick. It doesn't happen the way people think.
0: No, it sure doesn't. More Antonio, thanks so much. Uh, we'll see you tonight in Portland. I'm looking forward to the game. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yep.
1: Make sure you come by and say hello. We'll, we're at the top of Section 113.
0: Will do. Thanks, Antonio. All
1: right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. That was Antonio Harvey, radio color analyst for the Portland Blazers and Portland Trail Blazers, Blazers rather, and Rich, one of our favorite guests. One oh, way yeah. over immediately.
2: Yeah, what a great guy. And it wasn't even just the tanking thing. I loved kind of the excitement and enthusiasm in his voice when, you know, we talked to him about the the Jeff Goodman quote about Lamarcus Aldridge. You know, you, know, you love talking to folks that are that passionate about the game uh, and that knowledgeable obviously about the game and so
0: he was just a real treat. They are a fun team to watch, Rich. I don't know how many Blazer games you've been able to see this year, but They are a lot of fun to watch, and I get them because we don't have the Sonics anymore up here in the Pacific Northwest, as you well know. So the Blazer games get shown on cable here, and people in Portland love their team, win or lose. It's such an exciting atmosphere, and I'm I'm glad to be caught up in that tonight because even as a Celtic fan, and I go down there every year to see the Celtics play because it's the closest venue to go see a Celtics game. They treat me with such respect, and they're knowledgeable fans, and they just want to talk to you about Celtic history. You know, last year I was at the game, somebody turned around and said, wow, you really got to steal with Jeff Green instead of Kendrick Perkins. I mean, just out of the blue, they said that to me. I'm like, yeah, you know, that wasn't the case two years ago. Of course, we don't want to really get into Jeff Green now. I'm not real happy. You and I have talked about that uh, before as well. But anyway, great having Antonio on Celtics beat today. And Rich, what did you really take away from that? What were your impressions about the Blazers?
2: Yeah, I, you know, as you said, they're to me one of the, mo- the more fun teams to watch, and you know, such a great aspect of that, you know, the story of their resurgence is, as you said, just what they mean to the, the, the fans of the city of Portland. And you know, I, I've long been a big Bill Walton fan, and and while I was always a Celtics fan, you know, back in the late '70s when uh, Portland had those those great teams around Walton before he got injured, I was always, you know, they were for a while one of my second favorite NBA teams. So you know, I try to stay up with them, and I love watching them just. Just because, you know, as I mentioned in the segment with Antonio, I love the offense they run. I just, you know, to me, basketball is fundamentally a game about motion. And when you run that type of offense, um, it – what it really does more than anything is just put a level of stress on the other team and on the other defense, you know, not just in terms of, you know, the, the effort and exertion of having to chase guys around through screens and whatnot. But, you know, one of my, uh, you know, fundamental principles or you know, thoughts around, you know, the difference between winning and losing is, you know, what you want to do is actually put the opponent, opponent in the position to make as many decisions Um, as possible over the course of the game because, you know, over time, you know, as Antonio pointed out that, that, you know you're going to expose more mistakes. You're going to create more mistakes on the part of the defense. But I think the other thing that you know forcing the other team into making decisions and, and more frequent decisions does is it, it creates a level of stress on them. And at some point, guys just kind of break down and give in. You know whether it's you know give in to that that run that you're on right now and kind of throw in the towel for the game, or even in the you know in the scope of a given possession, kind of give in and, and maybe not fight over that screen or decide to go under the screen instead of over the screen. And and, you know, the more times you put players in dis- in the, the, the position of having to make decisions, ultimately that's going to benefit you from an offense. And I think that's, that principle is really what that, that motion offense is, is,
0: is built upon. The, the Celtics, no doubt, are going to be tested tonight because they played that hard-fought game last night in Golden State where they lost 99-97. So you turn around, and in less than 24 hours, you got to play the the Blazers, who have this up-tempo offense, number one in the league in points scored. So we'll see if the Celtics can bear down and actually make a game of it tonight, because this has 20-point, 30-point loss written all over it, especially with the way that the Blazers play offense. No doubt about it, Rich.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I mentioned earlier, last game of the road trip, you know, you're going to be more predisposed uh, mentally to, to kind of giving in. And you're you're running up against a team that, you know, really counts on that, puts you in that position to, you know, kind of succumb and give in to the, 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 the pressure they're putting you under. And so I'll be really impressed if, if the Celtics can, you know, for the third game in a row, kind of hang tight there. And, and who knows, you know, uh, pull out a win. As Antonio pointed out, uh, the Blazers, for as great as they've played this season, have, you you know, had a couple of hiccups uh, at home against uh, the Sixers and against the Kings, I believe. So, you know, hopefully Celtics can to
0: So they haven't been playing great of late. So maybe the Celtics might be catching them at the right time. Let's hope so. But the Celtics facing a, a tough back-to-back. Who put this schedule together, by the way, for the Seas? <laughs> this is the most ridiculous five-game stretch in seven days, Rich. I, I can Strike, but even the lockout season, I don't remember a stretch this brutal. I know they had the back to back to backs in the strike uh, or lockout season. I keep saying strike, forgive me. But think about it you play at OKC, Denver, the Clippers, Golden State, and Portland.
2: Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, West Coast trips are always tough, but I think in particular this season with the, the so many quality teams out West and I think just kind of the way they, they lined up um, on this trip, you know, it's funny, you know, probably the weakest of those teams are, are the Nuggets and, you know, they've, they've been, you know, slightly below 500. But then you factor in, you know, playing at, in at, at altitude in Denver and, and that makes that such a, a difficult game. And, you know, it's been an odd schedule all season. They started off with the, the killer November schedule and then followed that up with an incredibly light December. I think they had only uh, 12 games in total in the entire month of December, and now the first part of January has been a killer. So, yeah, there doesn't seem to be – there seems to be a lot of peaks and valleys in the schedule right now, and they're certainly in one of those uh,
0: peaks or, I guess,
2: valley, depending on how you look at it.
0: And the interesting thing is, I believe in November, what, they won nine games in November, which just had everybody very excited. Nine games in November – and I think they really struggled uh, in December. Of course, what are 13 and 24 on the season? Losers of 10 of 11 facing 11 out of 12 tonight, seven in a row. Rich, let's get back to Rajon Rondo for a moment because we briefly touched on him earlier in the show. Do you expect him to play? Really?
2: I, you know, I, I do, um, but. Man, you know, after seeing uh, what happened with with Derek Rose last year and the Willie Won'ty thing, um, you know, I hope that doesn't that situation doesn't occur with Rondo. But would it completely surprise me? No, um, you know, if you listen to some of the quotes from Rondo, it's clearly him uh, mentally not being able to be a competitor. You know, for all all his uh, pluses and minuses, I don't think anybody can question. Be out there. But at the same time, you know, um, I I think the team sees uh, not a lot of value in rushing him back. I think if this was two seasons ago, I think it would be a very different story. Uh, But this year, there seems to be not a lot of. Back out there, but at some point, I, I think there is some urgency because you do want to see how this team that's been very uneven, very up and down, has shown some some flashes and then has gone through some some stretches of really, um, you know, uh, difficult play. You you want to see how they're going to perform with that with their best player in the lineup, and so you know it's kind of a mixed bag for me. I would like to see him play this year, as you know, for no other reason than just what I stated. I want to see how Avery Bradley looks with you know Rondo out there taking the Responsibility of, of the ball handling, um, you know, and 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 you know, hopefully doing it in a more consistent way than somebody like a Jordan Crawford, and how Bradley might flourish even more offensively with with Rondo running the show. I want to see how Sullinger can you know perform with maybe not as much pressure of you know being the, you know the man to out the being out there to to make plays offensively and being able to kind of benefit from some of the uh, you know the attention that that Rondo obviously draws. Similarly with Jeff Green, I want to see how he Performs when he can kind of slide into that, um, you know, more second fiddle role, and you know, focus on his strengths, which are really slashing to the basket, as opposed to having to try to, you know, initiate offense. Um, so I want to see him there, but again, you know, it, it's hard to tell what's going to happen with so much uncertainty circling the team.
0: You mentioned Jared Sollinger in that uh, comment. What is going on with him? He was fabulous last night. He went for twenty-one points and eleven rebounds, showing the the flashes that I think could make him an all star in the NBA, but at the same time he had a horrible month of December. He seems to not mentally be in the game the flagrant fouls I don't get it he's shooting like what twenty some percent actually before last night's game uh, recently. What do you think's going on with him? Has he just maybe hit a wall?
2: I think it's a young player trying to figure out who he is in the NBA and establish his identity. I think, you know, it was easy for him coming in last year to surpass expectations before he, you know, went down with the uh, injury or kind of finally succumbed to the back injury and and went in for surgery because, you know, you had a strong veteran cash. You had a lot of players with with existing roles, and so it was easy for him to kind of come in and carve out a little bit of a niche, right, as a a guy who uh, was a surprisingly um, good communicator on defense, a tough player on defense a guy who's going to go in and get his nose dirty and and rebound and kind of be one of those front court glue guys you know a surprisingly good passer um, you know in the front court I think this year um, with a lot of those um, you know with those veterans you know obviously now gone including even Rondo with, with the injury and uh, a lot more uncertainty around roles you know I think um, I, I think that's had in some ways a positive impact on him I, I think he's been able to show uh, that he's capable of expanding his game uh, a little bit more offensively. I think he's shown an ability to to be a threat um, from from out on the perimeter. Uh, in addition to you know in the right matchups, being able a guy who you know being a guy who can operate in the post and give you some points from in there. Um, but I think on the negative side, that that lack of you know, kind of clarity around his role has put him in the position sometimes where he's really out of his comfort zone. Yet, he, Yet he feels, you know, significant responsibility to kind of be that guy and, and, and be the, the, the player that the, you know, the offense runs through, uh, particularly in the absence of Rondo. And I think, you know, um, hopefully Rondo coming back will allow him to kind of maybe find and, 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 and kind of stick to that, that comfort zone a little bit and, and recognize that, Hey, Rondo is the guy that when the team is struggling uh, that you know that they need to look to to you know kind of right the ship or to make a play here and there and he can kind of make maybe you know fit back more into that that comfort zone of you know playing that, playing a complementary role um, but you know it's, it's clearly been a struggle for him and I think it's as much of a mental struggle as it is a physical struggle when when he's kind of forced into matchups against guys like an Anthony Davis that that are you know long and athletic and and, and are you know sure to give him some problems
0: I'd like to see him learn from guys like Chris Humphreys. I know that sounds strange for me to say, but last night, Humphreys and Maurice Spates got into it, and Humphreys walked away. And I want him to be more calm in demeanor. I want him to play with emotion, but I want him to be smart.
2: Yeah, I think he's. You know, I think he's been affected by his struggles more recently. I think, you know, the behavior that we're seeing with with the uh, you know the emotional reactions and the, uh, the the flagrant fouls. I don't think ultimately is you know, Jared Soldier's personality as an NBA player. I think he's he's just feeling a lot of pressure right now and I think it's it's getting him to a little bit and he's not reacting to it well. And again, I think it's part of kind of not knowing your role. I think, you know, um you know when a when a player like that is really searching for an identity, uh you know, I think of it as they, they you sometimes try on a lot of different hats. And he may be, you know, trying to try on a little bit of an enforcer hat right now, which, you know, I, I think ultimately is not what the team needs from him. I I think, you know, he is capable enough offensively and important enough defensively to what they do that asking him to kind of be that enforcer um, I think kind of compromises um, you know ultimately his effectiveness because I think in that role you kind of have to be you know that guy that is you know it's okay if you know you end up getting relegated to the bench because you pick up three fouls and I don't think Sullinger is that he's too important to the team to be that type of player.
0: Rich, we've got a new segment, NBA in 5. Let's start off with King James last night in Brooklyn. First of all, I hate the jerseys with the names on the back. King James, really? And I told you last night, too, I watched the the, uh, broadcast from the Miami market, and they chironed him, King James. This is not good for the league.
2: No, it's not. You know, he's obviously uh, recognizes the importance the league has placed on him from a, a marketing perspective. And honestly, I feel like he's, he's taken advantage of it. You know, he feels like he's got the ability to do anything on the court, say anything off the court with complete impunity and knows that, you know, that it's going to have an impact down the road. You know, he, he called out Toledovich for the foul um, last night, which was a good hard foul and, and called it a non-basketball play and to my mind when you know when did intentional fouls become a non-basketball play i think he's you know clearly setting it up so that you know the next time he's in that situation a guy's going to get a flagrant two and get tossed from the game and and he's going to benefit and his team's going to benefit and i think that's an unhealthy thing for the league
0: so brooklyn beat the heat last night in double overtime they've won five in a row have they turned a corner
2: you know uh, it it looks like to have which is kind of surprising you know given the absence of Lopez but you know with the vagaries of the NBA schedule and just you know kind of the the general up and down nature of a of a team like that with you know some extremely capable veteran players um, but, you know, uh, are still trying to find their way. You know, who knows? It's just maybe a, a short-term uh, kind of perfect storm for them. Um, you know, then again, you know, the the, the East, uh, you know, beyond Miami and Indiana doesn't have, you know, a lot of uh, strong teams out there. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they, they crawl back into the playoff race and, and, and ultimately stay there. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that's a fragile team, you know, between the, the rookie head coach uh, who, um, you know, has – so far in his you know, tenure as a head coach, shown uh, some some questionable decision making, some aging veterans, and you know a big injury there. Uh, they could just as easily you know drop another seven in
0: a row. So who knows? Do you think the Knicks can make a push too?
2: yeah you know I think they are even um uh, more of a fragile team, especially mentally than than brooklyn is uh It seems like they've tuned out their coach uh they've always had uh, uh quite a few wild cards on the team and they added another one this year with with metaworld's peace uh so they're a uh, uh emotionally unstable team uh, Mello just seems like he's going through the motions he had a big game the other night, but um you know I think he's got one foot out the door, so I would be extremely surprised if the the Knicks
0: claw their way back into playoff contention. I think the Lakers have lost eleven of twelve now. I was watching the Clipper game last night against the Lakers. Don't ask me why, but I was. (laughs) And my girlfriend Michelle's on the couch with me watching this, going, "Who are these guys? You know, like the old Butch Cassidy, the Sundance Kid line. Who are these guys?" I didn't recognize anybody out on the court for the Lakers. What is going on there? And what was priceless was the response of Kobe Bryant on the bench just putting his head in his hands because it was just such a disgusting performance last night in front of the home crowd in L.A.
2: Yeah, how'd you like to be in that locker room or uh, on that practice court with uh, Kobe Bryant going through, you know, um, playing with a team with, again, you know, not a lot of uh, clear roles and not a lot of high-quality NBA players. I think they surprised folks early in the season um, on the strength of some surprising play by guys like Xavier Henry and, and Nick Young and, and a couple other folks, um, Wesley Johnson. Um, but they had, uh, you know, even a few more injuries beyond Kobe. Uh, Xavier Henry missed some some time. Nash is still out they don't really have a point guard they were missing Jordan Farmer for a while so yeah that's a mess I think you know uh, Kobe's got going to be in the position of having to kind of grit his teeth uh, you know through this season and maybe uh, through next season even until uh, Mitch Kupka can find a way to bring in some reinforcements there.
0: Actually the Celtics take them on I think next Friday so maybe that's a victory the Seas can get at home it's always a pleasure to to beat up on the Lakers you pointed this out to me when we were off air Gordon Hayward a lot of talk about him coming to the Celtics getting a max deal being a star in Boston he went off last night what 37 points 11 rebounds 7 assists is he a guy you can build a team around
2: yeah that was a huge game and a big surprising win by uh, the, the Jazz who've been one of the weaker teams in the league over the Thunder who are obviously one of the best um, you know, I, you know uh, before that game I would have kind of looked a little bit uh, side-eyed as somebody who suggested that, that Gordon Hayward might be a max player. Uh, you know, I think he's a, you know, a, a good, you know, uh, 12 to $13 million player can be you know, in a lot of ways. I think like a Jeff green, I think, you know, perfectly suited to be maybe a number three guy on a, on a contending team. But, you know, if you can have that type of game against the, the thunder and Kevin Durant, um, you know, who knows, maybe his ceiling is, is, is higher than I thought.
0: He's a nice player. Good kid. Brad Stevens knows him well. I think he'd be a fan favorite in Boston. I know we're a long way from that. But I think fans in Boston, he's the type of player they would really attach themselves to.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think you know, the, the the word is that he's looking for a max contract, and who knows, maybe the Celtics can get a Brad Stevens discount given their their relationship. <laughs> right. uh, but he's he's going to be a restricted free agent, similar to Avery Bradley, and um, really, it's a question of you know h- how much do the Jazz really want to want to keep him? Um, you know, Bill Simmons made a comment earlier on a podcast is saying that the the we're going to make a move for him, and that somehow turned into a rumor as if something's actually being discussed. I'm not sure how that happens, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if either at the deadline or uh, in next offseason, via sign and trade, the Celtics make a, a play for Gordon
0: Hayward. Cavs pick up Luol Dang for a first round draft pick. What do you think of the deal?
2: Wow, the Bulls have kind of tossed in the towel, haven't they? They uh, have. Yeah, I mean, you know, you trade away what's effectively your best player right now with with Derrick Rose on, on the sidelines again, and um, you know, it seems pretty clear uh, that. That the, uh, the the Bulls aren't expecting to do much this season. It's got to be killing Tom Thibodeau. Um, you know he's such a competitive guy. On the flip side, hey, the Cavs look like they're making a run for, for the playoffs. And if they can get their front court in order, uh, you know, at, uh, with with Bynum now being shipped out of there, uh, you know, in the East they, they could they could be in that that one of the top four seeds.
0: And that's the NBA and five. Rich, always a pleasure hosting Celtics beat with you.
2: Yeah, likewise, Ty. Loved to having Antonio Harvey as our guest today and. Can't, can't tell you how jealous I am that you're heading down to the game tonight in Portland and uh, have a great time at the Rose Garden.
0: Thanks. Always love seeing the green, win or lose. It's a lot of fun. And that's going to do it for Celtics beat for this Saturday. Ty Ray, Rich Conti wanting to thank Antonio Harvey, Portland Trailblazers radio color analyst, for joining us today and having a spirited conversation with him was a lot of fun. Celtics losers of 10 of 11, seven in a row, Let's hope they break that losing streak tonight against the Blazers. Have a great Saturday, everybody.